and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Rory and Lorelai's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. I'm Taylor. And I'm Kyla. And would you say that we are the ladies of Flatbush? You know, we we don't have cool jackets, but we aspire to have cool jackets. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're not quite at pink lady status if we're going back to another throwback 70s movie set in the 50s. <laughs> we don't have pink ladies jackets. We don't have Lords of Flatbush jackets. Mm-mm. But we do need jackets. I think you're right. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get some jackets by our 100th episode, which is right <gasps> around the corner. Yes. We will we'll have jackets for them. That's the goal. <gasps> Welcome to our episode 90. Yeah. Um but you know, we are probably the Man, the opposite of lords is ladies, right? That's, like, what is that about? I, you know, I can't say, but we could probably go ask the Brothers Grimm where that specific, <laughs> like, etymology of those two words mm-hmm. came from. We probably could. But mm-hmm. we're probably the ladies of Gilmore Girls. I'll take it. That's a little redundant, but <laughs> you get it. The Gilmore ladies, the pink ladies, you know, it all runs together. Mm-hmm. Well, should we talk about who these actual lords of Flatbush are since they aren't us? I suppose. The episode of Gilmore Girls we are talking about today is Gilmore Girls 420. Luke can see her face. <laughs> and this aired on May the 4th, 2004. May the 4th be with you. And However, was. we are not talking about a Star Wars reference. And this is not the episode where they discuss Lorelai and, Ro- <laughs> and Luke discuss I have the Obi Wan having the high ground, <laughs> which is just such oh. a savage but honest take of episode three. I really appreciate that. I yeah, that, I love that scene. That's a favorite. Yes, and I think treats that plot point with the level of seriousness it deserves. <laughs> But we are not quite there, but this episode no. is on our way to that discussion. Yes. Because it's called Luke Can See Her Face. Sure is. <sighs> the IMDb plot summary is Liz returns to Stars Hollow with news that she and TJ will marry next week in the town square, which has Luke asking Jess to attend. Weird way to phrase that, but all true. Lorelai and Suki overhear Dean and Lindsay's problems, and Luke works on his dating and communication skills with a self-help tape that <laughs> makes him realize that the one has been in front of him the whole time! Exclamation point. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this episode? Oh, I mean, it's fantastic. You're just, I'm just waiting the whole time, every time I watch it, to get to the end where he's the self-help guy is <laughs> talking to Luke in the tapes and saying... Can you see her face? Who do you most want to share when good news happen, when good things happen to you? Can you see her face? And at the end, <laughs> he says, whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get. Go- I just got goosebumps to talking about it. I just, yeah. I absolutely love it. And what a fun way for Luke to come to that point. Because in so many other shows, like, they just kind of make the characters kiss. They, like, just have a romantic moment and they just kiss, you know? Uh-huh. I feel like that's how a lot of it, it happens. A lot of friendships becoming romantic relationships happens. But Luke was so closed off, 
he needed that self-help book, you know? Mm -hmm. I just think that was a good way to do it. It's funny to me, too, because you've been waiting for four years almost at this point. I remember the first time I watched through the show, I knew they got together, but I did not know how long it took. And so when it finally happens within one episode where it clicks and he's like, oh, I'm going to go make this happen. You kind of are like, wait, what? This is <laughs> this is a serious development in the pace of the show in which one relationship has basically been the same for four years. And now it's going to be yeah. huge, uh, have a yeah. huge change. Yeah, that that's so true. But it's like once he realized it, he was ready to go for it like a grown person (laughs) also i love that the self-help tape balances the actually being helpful but also being a little goofy oh yeah i just can imagine this guy sitting in his studio and be like i have this friend let's call him philip and just (laughs) Uh like what a goof i don't know Mm -hmm. there's it's funny but the the actual message of it is poignant enough to get through. I think it walks that right. line really well. I agree. Not the plot line we're talking about today. No, sadly. <laughs> Though related. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, I think, seeing Luke's sister get married kind of makes him want to figure out his life. And <laughs> he goes to TJ's bachelor party And it leads to probably one of my all-time favorite TJ moments. The fact is, there is no such thing as a lack. Come on, think about it. It's there when you're sitting, but it's gone when you're standing. So where does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. Meaning, it never was. So a lack is just an illusion. Whoa, the way his mind works. Oh, it's something else. Where have you been? The bathroom. It's best to use it before the puking starts. They left me hanging with the Lords of Flatbush here. Sorry. I mean, TJ's not wrong. It's a laugh <laughs> is only there when you create it. <laughs> I just... It's so dumb, it's smart. Is that the... <laughs> uh-huh. Is that the takeaway? I really don't know. It's so simple, it's dumb, but it's also... <laughs> But, like, it's something you kind of know, but you just never really put it into words because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But for Thomas Jefferson, TJ himself, it matters. Oh, yes. And I think this is probably my second favorite TJ moment. What's after. your first favorite? We're not to this episode, but since since we're talking about it, my all-time favorite TJ moment is... At his and Liz's wedding. And the um, the goofy guy officiating the wedding who was singing a song about how love is a game yes, or we share song. our toys or whatever. <laughs> so good. And he says, Liz, now you may do your vows. And she says, TJ. And he looks up and he goes, yeah. <laughs> like he totally <laughs> forgot where he was. And I can't do justification of this moment on this podcast but i think it is probably the single like it is the moment that made me laugh the hardest in the entire series is wow just out of the blue it's like he completely forgot where he was he doesn't understand why liz is addressing him at their own what anyway it just (laughs) 
It tickles me to no end. Uh-huh. No, I mean, I know I can hear and see his face saying mm. that. I know exactly what you're talking about. You can see his face. I can. <laughs> uh, well, can I just share two fun facts before we dig into our discussion? Because you know I love my fun facts. Yes, you do. In this bachelor party scene, the guy playing TJ's brother is really his brother in real life. You might recognize him as the dad from Wizards of Waverly Place on Disney Channel. David DeLuise is his brother in real life. To Michael DeLuise, to clarify who's playing TJ. And their dad, Dom DeLuise, appears in the movie Fatso that Rory and Lorelai are watching at another point in the episode. So you can briefly see their dad on screen. That's hilarious. So we get three DeLuises for the price of one in this episode. That is a very odd last name. I th- DeLuise. There you go. I guess it works out for them, though. They haven't changed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Taylor... Were you a big fan of the Lords of Flatbush before watching this up? Not only was I not a fan, I was not aware of its existence. And that's rare for you. You tend to know the about the existence of most of these pop culture references. That's true. Most of them I've at least heard of. This one, I cannot say I understood a lick of anything about it. How about you? Yeah, I knew nothing. Never heard of it. Never seen that movie poster image. Nothing. Nope. Okay, so we're at zero. So basically anything we learn will be an improvement over where we started. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, to clarify, if you are also in the dark about what Lords of Flatbush is, this is a 1974 movie Starring Perry King, Sylvester Stallone, a.k.a. Rocky, Henry Winkler, a.k.a. The Fonz, hey. Susan Blakely, Maria Smith, and Renee Paris. And normally, this is where I would say, and it made a bunch of money and won a bunch of awards. I could find no box office or awards worth mentioning. Actually, I don't think I found anything out about it other than... It was made on a shoestring budget, and when it actually made money, that meant it was very profitable. But it was more that it was made on the cheap. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know, there is not a lot about this movie. I saw it being called a cult classic. However, I couldn't find any cults (laughs) that were taking ownership of it. So... I don't know. This is an interesting one, though. I'm yeah. to talk about it. Who knows? Maybe one of our listeners is the owner of that cult. Yeah. If maybe. you are, reach out to us. <laughs> maybe Babette will join. <laughs> Babette, I was in a cult once. Did I tell you that? No. I met this guy once. Gorgeous. Tan. Looked just like Mickey Hargaday. We had coffee. He gave me a pamphlet. Next thing you know, I'm wearing a momo playing a tambourine, jumping up and down at the airport. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Babette would join that cult, I think. She would yeah, probably she would. find the young men hunky, um, as Babette is wont to do about I younger mean, men. 
I wouldn't you say that Maury is would fit in with the Lords of Flatbush pretty dang easily? Yeah, just make his jacket leather and he blends right in. Yeah. So the Lords of Flatbush was, I mean, you the first two people you mentioned who were in the movie, you said AKA because I mean Sylvester Stallone, Henry Winkler. I mean, they went on to have huge you know, they became the kind of actors that you know them for their characters, you know? Yeah. So, but they started in this movie that is just eerily similar and purposely similar to what they later went on to do, which yes. is so cool because I think a lot of, everyone knows who Sylvester Stallone is, everyone knows who the Fonz is, but I don't think many people know what the Lords of Flatbush are. No. This one has been lost to time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, what what happens in this movie? Uh, maybe a better question is... <laughs> during the time that people turned on cameras onto these four <laughs> actors, what did they do? Maybe that's another way to phrase it. I think that is a better phrasing. I saw this movie... I think Turner Classic Movies called this Rambling... Mm. And I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. So this movie is about a group of four guys, four bros. They definitely greasers. They're slicking their hair back with their <laughs> combs, just like you see on the movie Grease. Mm -hmm. And they have lords and scripty writing on the back of their jackets. Now, they never say Flatbush. I never heard anyone say Flatbush. Well. But... I know what's up with that, and this is not because I am from the East Coast. This is because I am very much not from the East Coast and had to read about it. Flatbush <laughs> is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yes. Now, and, they never say that in the movie, though, do they? No, and this just piques my... I just have this bee in my bonnet about how people from New York... <laughs> Think. What a Midwestern saying. I know. I'm going to lean into it hard for this <laughs> little bee in my bonnet rant here. But people from New York tend to think, in my Midwestern perception, that the ins and outs and intricacies and details of all the neighborhoods and boroughs in New York City are both fascinating and relevant to all things. And <laughs> I kind of want to just, if you are a listener from New York City, like, first off, I applaud that you can keep all those neighborhoods in Borough Street. Like, that is a feat of mental ingenuity, in my Midwestern opinion. It's not as interesting as you think it is, though. I'm, I'm really Ooh, sorry. burn! Like, I'm happy for you. I know New York's a great city, but you know what? I just, like, you can't expect everybody to know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just not relevant to my everyday, except when I watch movies. I mean, I get people being very hardcore about their specific neighborhood. I mean, we've got yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical, In the Heights, isn't that? Mm -hmm. That's a neighborhood. Um, but yeah, same. I have no understanding for... Each individual neighborhood breakdown. Yeah. Well, and it's 
in my understanding, has changed, too. Mm. So, like, I hear people say things like, Brooklyn today is not like what it was 40 years ago. Hey, you used to about be afraid it. to go outside and now you're not. You know, I could be that's 100% wrong. I don't actually know if that's true, but like <laughs> I hear people say things like that mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Well, how can you keep expect me to keep this straight?" You know, I don't Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's my be my bonnet. If this movie had aired like played just in theaters in New York City, then people might have been like, oh, yeah, they're in Flatbush. <laughs> Lords of Flatbush. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. me, yeah. I was like, okay, they're called the Lords. Do they become the Lords of Flatbush later? Like, is that <laughs> <laughs> where yeah. this film was going? Yeah, so I was lost anyway, there. My understanding of New York neighborhoods comes entirely from the movies, and the only reason I ever try to hold on to that information is for movies. It has... Hmm, no that's interesting on my daily life that's like how all the movies about california and then you're just like not everyone lives in la can you please make a it's movie true. that takes place somewhere else yeah it's true it's true anyways why can't the world revolve around things that we know i don't know but <laughs> everything should do things <laughs> For us specifically. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And nobody should do anything that isn't catered to us, is Thank what you, I'm Taylor. hearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, everyone that's should 100%. just agree with us. If they, mm-hmm. everyone did everything the way we wanted, the world would be perfect. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> ah, well, that is certainly the way that this director thought. Stephen <laughs> something. What's his last well, name? Well, it's a double director, a co directing yes. credit. Co-directed by Martin Davidson and Stephen Verona. Ah, well, Stephen Verona, this was all about his life. So uh, he supposedly, you know, he said that each of the characters was a little bit like him. So he had Chico, one of the lords, and that was to represent all of his time with the ladies. And then Stallone's character was, oh yeah, you know, I used to be pretty hardcore. And... On and on with the other two. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> I found a more colorful description of these four guys that I wish I would have read it before the movie because it would have helped me keep them straight because I think they all <laughs> kind of look alike in their greased hair and leather jackets. Mm-hmm. But I found a review written by none other than Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my. This guy has been kind of on the down low been writing movie reviews since Hmm. December for a website connected to a theater that he owns. And they're written like I suspect Quentin Tarantino talks (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the time. But I really liked his description. We'll include this link if you want to read his full thoughts. But since so few things are written about Lords of Flatbush... I was able to find this. (laughs) He says, The lords of the title are a very small group of four Brooklyn street toughs. Stallone Stanley, hands down the biggest and the meanest. Perry King's Chico, the motorcycle-riding Casanova of the crew. Henry Winkler's Butchie, the smart aleck of the group, and the one Jew amongst three Italians. And Paul Mace's Wimpy, the little guy and the most authentically New Yorker of the group. Hmm. And I wish I would have known these things because like i said they all look alike 
But apparently, Quentin Tarantino can keep him straight, and he enjoys this movie. Good job, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you know, I had a hard time at the beginning keeping them straight, mostly because a bunch of scenes were shot at night, and so I couldn't see them very well. (laughs) But after, you know, a little bit into the movie, I could keep them straight. So this movie is rated PG, (laughs) which... Apparently that was a thing in the 70s, too, to rate things much lower than they should be rated. Well, we're 10 years before PG-13 was invented. Oh. So I agree with you. It's still, like, this is a movie that I think makes a case for a PG-13 rating. Because it's not graphic. But there are scenes of... um, How would you describe it? I would describe it as hidden ejaculation. (laughs) That like I I don't know how much just off screen. Like Or just like covered by clothing. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the most like PG way I can describe it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh there's definitely more than one scene of getting hot and heavy. Mm-hmm. And in every instance, it seems like the guy is trying to pressure the girl into it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's all Chico. And he, yeah, it's um, it's very uncomfortable. So you have, you know, he... Oh, I already said I don't need to say any more about, about the... <laughs> Hidden ejaculation. Um, but there's also lots of moaning. There are yeah. lots of noises. It was like, very uncomfortable. I was like, I yes. think I'm just gonna like hit ahead like 30 seconds, and it was still going. <laughs> yep, I definitely was like, uh, uh, like cringing. And again, they were fully clothed. Like for the most part, they were clothed. I think there's only one scene where a girl. Jane kind of takes off her bra, but you only see her shoulder, and then she puts her clothes back on. So it's yeah. it's not like they were naked. It wasn't graphic, but it was the moaning and the, you know, the women were noticeably uncomfortable. Like, yeah, and kept saying things like, no, I don't want to, and Sir Chico, Lord Chico, just kept going for it. Yeah, he sure did. So I think... It was a, his interaction with Jane in particular because he's with one girl and then the next night he's with someone else mm-hmm. after he gets, I suppose, far enough with the first girl from school. Um, so the new girl, of course, we you see a new girl at the beginning of the movie and I, I'm sure you also knew right away, oh, okay, one of the guys is going to go after her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a really good illustration, though, of... How typically guys, immature guys, will pressure a girl but make it like it's not their fault at all. So, you know, Jane starts crying. They go farther in a car than she wants to. And he says, what? Did I hurt you? What's wrong? What ha- Did I hurt you? I didn't hurt you. Why are you crying? As if to say, if I didn't physically hurt you, you should be okay right now. Which is just not not the case there are lots of reasons to feel upset if you're in a 
physical interaction that you aren't comfortable with. So any, all that say, I think it was a really good, like, if you want to see, if you don't understand how it can, how there can be like a consensual, but then not consensual interaction between guy and girl or between, sorry, between two people, that was a really good illustration of like how it can, like what that looks like, I think. Sorry if that was a bit of a rant, but I just, I think that's kind of important. I, I would agree. And, and then he follows it up with like emotional manipulation, guilting her. Yeah. When she finally does push away or says, no, I don't want this. And starts putting her clothes back on. He always leaves in a tiff, makes it seem like it's her fault. Mm-hmm. And is definitely playing the victim part. And right. I can't tell, like, I don't get the sense from the movie that this character is intelligent enough to realize that's what he's doing. Well, I think... I, think I mean, I think he knows what he's doing, but I think there's also, like, a part of it where he's, like, he's not a gaslighter in terms of, like, Charles Boyer in that 1940s <laughs> gaslight movie where he's, like, uh-huh. methodically planning to, like, right. remove the gaslight and try, you know, like, mm-hmm. try and, like come up with this entire logical it feels like this completely emotional like i'm going to deny all responsibility for this situation that mm-hmm. i'm embarrassed in um and i'm not going to take any responsibility so it doesn't i just want to say i don't think it's like this intelligent he's thought through this and gone through this scenario right. so many times he knows exactly what to do it's really just like complete immaturity like you said mm-hmm. well and which is the big danger in i think that's even in some ways more dangerous because there's this lack of awareness because he's just kind of mm-hmm. been trained through media, through the people around him that he gets to do this and act this way with women. Mm-hmm. And, and when uh, he's with his other Lords, they all treat women abysmally. Yes. Like they all talk down to them. They all like, they all harass them. They talk down mm-hmm. to them. And we'll talk more about Sylvester Stallone's relationship. Mm-hmm. But that does not seem particularly healthy, even though they have a quote-unquote happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see some of the other lords. We've got the wimpy guy. <laughs> as they, as, does he even uh, have a storyline? No, he really doesn't. He kind of starts, he introduces the gang by playing pool with a rando and oh, yeah, the rando mm-hmm. oh, of course greaser <laughs> stuff um gotta play pool gotta push those balls into holes with giant sticks i pool is odd to me i it just <laughs> there's not much like i just get to push this ball in i don't know that <laughs> <laughs> you have really reduced that game down to its essence <laughs> And so all of his lords come and back him up, and you see, okay, we've got we've got this group, group of bros. Mm-hmm. They're gonna fight guys who don't wear their same leather jackets. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then they harass the snot out of a teacher. Oh yeah. Oh my now, gosh. I would like to at least acknowledge if you were a teacher in that situation, do not behave as she did because she just is losing her mind (laughs) with the fact that they're like playing not harmless pranks but like no major pranks they're like pretty tame 
And it's, of course, super annoying and disrespectful, and they are super harassing her, but she's just, like, losing her mind. And I'm like, that is exactly what they want you to do. Yes. So, not her fault, but I'm just saying, if I could give a hot tip to any educators (laughs) out there trying to keep their kids in the Zoom classroom, uh, don't do what this teacher did. Yeah. Yeah, This movie is full of examples of what not to do. Yeah. Yes. Mr. Rossiello, Mr. McGallum, Mr. Tyrell, I am separating the three of you for your own good. Mr. Rossiello, you come right up here in front of me, and Mr. McGallum, you sit in the last row by the blackboard. Where is Mr. Tyrell? It's here. Come on. You stay there. What is that? Thank you. Mr. Rossiello. Come on up here, Mr. Rossiello. I am keeping you separated like this so we don't have any more of that delinquent behavior that we have had in the past. Is that clear? Sit down. Copy this information down. And then who's our other guy? Oh, yeah, Henry Frankenwinkler. A.K.A. Uh, the Fonz, A.K.A. Dr. Saperstein on Parks and Rec. <laughs> yep. And his most notable moment is the guy in the soda shop who likes to make them egg creams. Hashtag the 50s. <laughs> he basically tells the Fonz, you're dumbing yourself down to hang out with these guys. You have more potential. And he doesn't like that someone just told him that and then nothing becomes of that yeah that he didn't really have any development no 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 (laughs) (laughs) although who did maybe stallone did a little yeah let's talk about him a little bit so sylvester stallone Let's just call him that or Rocky because Let's, yeah, I think the character yeah. name doesn't matter. <laughs> so Rocky gets his girlfriend, the character's name is Franny, pregnant. And he is not thrilled about this and also seems to not realize he was there when this baby was conceived. I mean, he knows yeah. he was there, but he acts like, well, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Yeah, she reminds him that's incorrect. <laughs> and he he wants her to get rid of the baby. She says no. She's ready to get hitched. And so in a very odd scene, set of scenes, she and her best friend, who, by the way, except for one scene and maybe another scene at the end of the movie, is always wearing her hair in curlers. I wanted to ask you about that. What is the story there? I don't know, because don't you wear curlers at night so that when you wake up, your hair's curly, and then you can wear those curls in the day, not the curlers themselves? Or you wear them at home, and then you take them out, and then go out? Yeah, Yeah. I was very concerned about her going out in public like i was embarrassed on her behalf that she wore the curlers to the jewelry store and to school oh yeah 
Like, and to the egg cream soda shop. Yes, everywhere. Except I remember the first scene, she wasn't wearing them because I thought, hey, her hair's not in curlers. <laughs> and I think when she goes back to the jewelry shop, she's Maybe not wearing curlers. Maybe that's the scene. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Franny and her curly-haired friend, presumably curly-haired friend, if you wear your curlers that long, it's got to be curly. <laughs> they go and pick out a ring... Without, like, really a price range in mind. And she picks out a $1,600 ring, which today would be maybe, like, a less than a half a carat diamond ring, which is still, like, in my opinion, a fine size engagement ring. Engagement rings are a bit of an odd thing. But, yeah, I think it was a carrot and a half with some baguettes on the side. Yeah, but back in the day, $1,600, yeah, carrot and a half, that's that's a big ring. And they're in high school. But she falls in love with this ring, and Stallone comes back to get it. And oh my gosh, I don't. that jeweler was so uncomfortable. Yes. This ring is um, $1,600. It's, it's marked down from $2,200, and it's a steal. It's a beautiful ring. I don't want the ring, Stanley! I don't want it! I don't want it! Hey, will you listen to me? Hey, you want to calm down a minute? Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. I'll get you an ID bracelet or something, all right? You cheap. You are game. so cheap, Stanley. Hey, hey, meatball, why don't you go and wire your hair? You know, I'm, I'm saving for a car. I'm saving for a car. You're I'm saving, saving for a car. For a car. You know, right. that's all you ever I'm think of is money, money, money. You know something? I don't think I'm going to even let you marry oh, my girlfriend. Hey, hey, shut up! Hey, listen to me, daddy Listen to me. Hey. I did an inflation calculator while we listened to that <laughs> clip. $1,600 in 1974 when this movie came out. Would be $8,435.47 today. Which, oh my. in a world with Bridezilla's and Say Yes to the Dress, <laughs> I can only assume that for some people, they're like, oh, that's a really cheap engagement ring. Remember, this is a high schooler living in the yes. Flatbush neighborhood of Brooklyn, which. Mm-hmm. Does not look particularly bougie. As I said, I'm not an expert on New York neighborhoods. But (laughs) judging from the production design, and I do know that it was filmed in actual areas of Brooklyn, it doesn't look like this is the kind of place where high schoolers have $8,500 as pocket change. No. No. So understandable that... Stallone was not happy about being expected to pay for this ring to enter a marriage he didn't want to enter, to be a dad, when he didn't want to be a dad. Yeah, but she, he got it for her. <laughs> And it is, yes, I am also uncomfortable on the jeweler's behalf, watching this fight play out between bride, maid of honor, and groom. Mm-hmm. In what is clearly, I mean, if you're that jeweler, you have to know this is probably a shotgun wedding, right? (laughs) Yes. I know people got married younger in general back in the day, but still, I think from the context, he would pick up on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but Stallone in the end says to him privately, if you ever show my lady a (laughs) $1,600 ring again... 
This will be the last ring you ever show anyone, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty funny. Poor jeweler, just trying to do his job. Yeah, just trying to make a grand and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but Franny turns out wasn't pregnant, which I didn't catch that moment, but then later it said she's not pregnant. Yeah, and it's unclear if that means she lost the baby or if she was wrong about being pregnant. Yeah, I I they got never the sense really that she was that. wrong about being pregnant because there was no mention of, like, not pregnant anymore or... Yeah. There was no, like, real sadness about it. It was just, oh, not actually pregnant. But she had said at the beginning that she was, like, a month late. But mm-hmm. also, depending on who you are, you, like, regularity is no, no guarantee in high school. <laughs> True. uh, TMI wasn't for me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving all sorts of good little extra notes tonight. I'm I'm learning some things about you. (laughs) You tell the road we all share and share alike around here. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I didn't happen to mention you guys. You You just uh, didn't come up in the conversation. You didn't tell her about us? Not even me, Chico. What are you, a loser? <laughs> that means you get your hands on those lemons. Lemons? Grapes. Grapes. Pits. 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 So what do you want? You want to get your rocks off in my days? Oh, oh, oh. Come on, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, well, you got your own little pepperoni, man. <laughs> so what else happens in this movie? What else? Um, Let's see. Chico makes out a bunch... In a car they stole. In a car they stole to get this woman who, in the end, she was like, I don't like you anymore. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> um, Sorry if I hurt you. And also, then it was like she was this cold person. But I was mm-hmm. like, no, good. Say I know, goodbye. I'm with her, for sure. Yeah. And I want to point out, this attempt to steal the car is a pretty shoddy attempt. They are not... <laughs> seasoned criminals this is not oceans four (laughs) this is a bunch of dum-dums trying to figure out how to start a car yeah they found the keys that was how they did it (laughs) what (laughs) what are the odds yeah and you know uh we're almost forgetting one of the most important scenes in the whole movie Ooh, what is that stallone and his pigeons (laughs) oh yeah Love, love those pigeons. What a guy. Mm-hmm. Much like Rocky and his turtles, but still yes. his pigeons. I thought of that. Mm. Yes. He likes to just sit in a small, compact <laughs> cage full of pigeons. I wonder what else is in there. Um, he likes to sit in there and read. And take himself to other worlds, which he tries to explain to uh the makeout guy oh chico chico and he does not get it no and i would suggest we play a clip except that there are some offensive terms used there Hmm. and i don't think we can it let's just put it this way they don't use they use some pejorative words for people who look different from them in different countries when they are imagining how 
Rocky could be a pigeon and fly over other countries and insists he's been there because he imagined it in his mind because he reads maps. Is it maps? That's yes. what he reads? Chico says, what do you like to read? And he's like, maps. Oh my gosh, I thought it was like books. No, it's maps. Oh and he's my like, gosh. what's the use of maps? <laughs> well, just ask me what the use of maps is. You want to go to Tokyo? I'll tell you about Tokyo. See, I'm a bird. I'm flying over Tokyo. I'm looking down. I'm seeing all this stuff. Here, I thought he was at like at least reading stories from no. other countries. No, no. maps. Oh my uh, like gosh. I said, we're not going to play the <laughs> clip because he also uses some offensive terms. But uh, if you are so inclined, you can go find it for yourself. Yeah. To see how ridiculous oh, wow. this is. And then Chico just responds with like, we're standing on the roof. We're with the pigeons. We're not in Tokyo. <laughs> He's like, no. Imagine you're in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> just over and over again. And then they leave it. He's, they're super mad at each other. Stallone is super I upset. Know. <laughs> Fortunately, they work it out in time for Chico to come to the wedding. Because Stallone still marries Franny. Because yeah. he probably can't get his money back from the ring, so he's like, well, whatever. And it's basically the wedding from The Godfather? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's ripping off another movie from the 70s. <laughs> we'll talk about the other movies. Uh, at least one other movie it kind of rips off. But The Godfather is basically the end of this movie. Like, you could, mm-hmm. like, queue up those movies back-to-back, go straight into <laughs> The Godfather, and you may not know... Where one ends mm-hmm. and the other begins. I agree. Yeah. No disrespect to Francis Ford Coppola, but based on the appearance of the wedding, you might feel that way. Yeah. And then it just ends and it shows screenshots from the movie. And yes. it's got a song like about friendship. So I feel like the ending was trying to say, friends are important. Look, the four of them stuck together. I don't feel like this movie earned this nostalgic montage. Because it's basically saying, hey, remember the last 85 minutes you spent with these guys? Let's remember all the good times. And I am like, what were the good times? Because I did not like a single one of them and was ready for this movie to be over. Yeah. I uh, text you, why was this movie made? I it- How is it PG? Yeah, and as I started reading different, a couple different articles about it, I started to feel like, oh, well, maybe it was, like, this real, like, indie, cool movie. And then I was like, no, the whole time I just didn't understand. There was no plot. I don't even know if this was over a school year, a semester. I, I had no <laughs> clue. Because I went to school once. They went to the beach one twice they go to the drive-in mm-hmm. they watch television and make out they go to the soda shop a couple times go see the pigeons <laughs> and get married yeah i mean there's not like a central conflict there's not a gathering place there's one fight <laughs> and then between two of the bros which felt a little like The Outsiders throwback mm-hmm. to one of our very earliest episodes. Mm-hmm. But I liked The Outsiders better. 
even oh, yeah. though it was tragic. It actually yeah, had a story. Drama. Yeah, because there was tragedy. There was something. <laughs> and it had Stevie Wonder songs. This did not. The songs were corny. Odd. They were, it was like, it should. They, it was almost like a music video. Like the music was yes. more interesting than what was going on. Or the music, the lyrics were so loud. Mm-hmm. It and they were very on the nose about what was in yes. the scene. So it was like, well, you, we could have just listened to the song and had no dialogue and understood what uh-huh. you wanted us to get from the scene. Yeah, we are very much on the same page with this movie. Yeah. You could go find that scene about flying over Tokyo. I don't recommend this movie, though. No. If you enjoy low-budget... No real plot. But see, even I like So if you have bad taste, (laughs) you might enjoy this movie. But like, you know, there are some movies that are kind of like minimal plot, but it's following a person's like maybe inner turmoil that are interesting. Maybe if you're from Flatbush in New York City. I don't know. You might like it. I don't know. But there's no guarantee. Well, I agree with you. This movie did not do it for me. Apparently it did it for Quentin Tarantino, so congrats to him. But I do want to give a little perspective on, I think, why this movie was made. And while it was not a massive hit, is something still remembered today, at least in small part, and has an anonymous cult following. (laughs) So... We briefly touched on this, but in the 70s, there was a major nostalgia for the 50s. You have Grease at the end of the decade. You have Happy Days throughout the decade. And there were a number of other things that kind of harkened back to this. Quentin Tarantino in his review mentioned how, as a child of that era, he was really proud of himself for knowing 50s trivia. Like, that was just like a really Hmm. big thing at the time. And a lot of this started the year before Lords of Flatbush came out, thanks to the movie American Graffiti, which was directed by George Lucas. And it was actually set in 1962, so not the true 50s, but had a lot of 50s flair. I actually just happened to recently watch this movie a couple weeks ago. Hmm. It was, it's been on my list for a while, and it definitely feels 50s with the drive-in that these kids are all kind of circulating around. They still have cars that, to my modern eyes, feel very 50s. Mm-hmm. So some of it is that I am a couple generations removed, so I just can't really tell the yeah. difference. I watched this movie, and it is a better movie than Lords of Flatbush, but it is kind of the same deal of, like, four guys bebopping around, <laughs> bebop bugging around. Uh-huh. The night before they leave for college. And so they're kind of just wandering around town, getting into shenanigans, making out with girls, stealing cars. And so there's definitely DNA overlap between them. Mm -hmm. And it has Ron Howard, who was also in Happy Days. Oh, funny. So there are definitely overlaps in this. And it sounds like the studio, this was a 
this was a movie that was like made independently and the studio picked it up because American Graffiti was such a hit. And they were like, oh, this is kind of the same thing. And Hmm. the movie took a while to edit and put together. So Fonzie, Henry Winkler, when he filmed this movie, he had not auditioned for Happy Days yet. But by the time the movie was ready to come out, he'd already about finished the first season of Happy Days. So they actually did this thing where they cut a trailer that was basically Henry Winkler (laughs) saying, hey, here's a new movie with this guy you love from Happy Days. And he is one of the main characters, but he's also not the main character. So it's a little misleading. But apparently they were really trying to tap into this 50s nostalgia that people had, uh, I guess probably because the 70s were rather tumultuous. Mm. Think of how everyone this year is like, well, I'm nostalgic for any time but this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, that, I think, is a lot of what it had to do with. It was trying to tap into the zeitgeist. And mm. because it's not a great movie, I don't think it does it for us today. Whereas American Graffiti I watched and I was like, oh, I totally get the mood of people about to leave for college. Like, this totally feels what I felt like right before I was on this cusp of adulthood. So there's things in there that are universally true. Where's this movie in? I think another issue with this, I think another reason why Lords of Flatbush didn't work was because there wasn't much at stake. And even them as a gang, they were not putting themselves in harm's way. They stole one car, and they weren't good at it because they <laughs> didn't hadn't done it before. So it was not like, oh no, it was a rival gang going to beat them up. There was there was none of that. Hey, hey, Butchie, are you interested in a little fun, man? Huh? Chico. Hey, uh, not now. Chico, I have to talk. Right now, right? Not now. Mr. Borte, you you interested in a little uh, entertainment, man? What kind of entertainment? Like uh, putting your fist through somebody's face, man? Whose face? Arnie Levine, that's who, man. Oh, hey, Levine. that's who, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 about time for Stanley, what about you? What about you? What about you? You got to do it today? Yeah, man, I need it right now, man. Right, I need you. Come on now. Where is he? He's down to football. You're not going. You promised me. I read one... One review of the of the movie on the filmyap.com which is kind of a movie review type site and uh, the person writing the review said in the end I don't really know what the Lords of Flatbush is trying to accomplish it seems like the bare sketch of something bigger and deeper like the first rough draft of a Scorsese film seen today it was an opportunity for actors to swagger and mug for the camera and hope it'll lead to something bigger which for most of them it surely did (laughs) so like looking at yeah I think that that does sound right like it looks it was like the first draft of something wasn't quite polished but it certainly worked out for Stallone and for Henry Winkler and actually they both said that they shaped their the characters they're famous for after Stallone's character in this movie Mm mm-hmm so I I really like that. So it did accomplish something in that regard for future yeah. film and TV. Perhaps some of the reason it feels unfinished, too, is a lot of the dialogue was improvised, and Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. was writing dialogue on set. Yeah. He was not an official screenwriter, 
but I guess back in the day, that was a thing you were allowed to do on set. I know there's a lot more restrictions now with who gets credit and that kind of thing um, with the Writers Guild, but apparently he was just coming up with stuff on the fly, and so that jewelry scene where he's in there with the jeweler trying to figure <laughs> out that ring, I think a lot of that was improvised. Mm. The pigeon I- scene, a lot of that was improvised. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good job, Stallone. <laughs> Ooh, so he's he's figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. And actually, some of the improvisation took place not on set, but in Stephen, whatever, what's his Verona. last name? Verona. In Stephen Verona's apartment hmm. before this movie ever started. So he released a book called, like, The Making of the Lords of Flatbush. That's what it was about, I'm sure. Googling mm-hmm. that would help you find it. And he had been working on this film for months because he had no money. Mm-hmm. And he had Richard Gere, who we'll talk about much more in a oh, bit. Oh, yes. <laughs> he had him sign down to play Chico. And the two of them were working. He knew Richard Gere from an acting class that he had either watched or taught a little in. And this was before Richard Gere had landed really anything except things on stage. Richard Gere had actually been, and I say this because it relates to us a little bit. In 1969, he played in a play uh, on Cape Cod, and Mm. it was called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead. And we always (laughs) bring up Rosencrantz and Guildenstern with Madeline Louise. So maybe Mm -hmm. think of that. And then his first major acting role was the year before this came out, in 1973, the London stage version of Grease. Oh, look Which, at that. Yeah. So, anyway, this was before he was a big deal at all. And the two of them were working on it. And then Stephen Verona went to an acting class. And I guess he just kind of went to these for funsies or what have you. And he <laughs> was some watching talent. some... Mm-hmm. And he was watching one guy perform. And the guy wanted to do a scene. And Stallone was there. But he was giving up on acting. He was Mm going to paint. He was going to write. He was done. And the guy said, oh, hey, let me do it with with my friend. And they were like, no, he's not part of the class. He's just hanging out. But no one else was ready to try out the scene. And so as Stephen put it, Stallone just dominated the scene. And the other guy wasn't even there. And he was like, he gave him the part. And then the three of them came up with a lot of the dialogue. Richard Gere and Sylvester Stallone came up with a lot of the dialogue that ended up in the movie. That is a I love origin stories mm-hmm. like that where stuff just happens and you you know, we don't love this movie, but I do think this movie is an important movie for a lot of the careers that launched. Yeah. And so it's yeah. kind of cool to hear just how it sort of the stars just aligned that they met. Um mm-hmm. and I did read too as well that Sylvester Stallone has said this character really became a blueprint for who Rocky was going to be. I would argue that Rocky is much more lovable than this guy. Yes. And he actually, there was a little clip of him and Steven talking. And Stallone said, my career was a, is a series of accidents. And he said, the most fortunate accident was you, Steven, finding me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and you also mentioned that Henry Winkler modeled a lot of the Fonz off of hey. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's character. Mm-hmm. 
And I found an interview from just last year. He talked about how it inspired him in his audition for Happy Days. Aww. And is it true that the Fonz's voice was partially based on Sylvester Stallone? Sometimes I would think, what would Sly do here? <laughs> when I did the audition, I just changed my voice a little bit, you know? And then I changed my body a little bit, you know? And then I, I would sit there and I'd look at a beautiful woman and I'd think to myself, hey, all right, I could take her for a ride. Yeah, that still works. Whoa. That's cool. Also, something he shared in an interview with Jimmy Fallon just a couple months ago in quarantine. So he's doing it from home. He gave a little tour of his jacket collection, and he still has his jacket oh, from Lords of Flatbush. And one of the awesome. Fonz jackets. That's awesome. Yeah. What mementos? I think about that sometimes with different movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. I think about like what the mementos would be and I know like Lauren Graham has Lorelai's I think it's her coat that has the brown fur around the collar it's like a jean jacket I think that was the one that she took but I, I like to think about that like what would I mm -hmm. take from a movie you know or a tv set <laughs> if I was a part of that project well he said to Jimmy Fallon about his Lords of Flatbush Jackie's he's like I don't know if they gave it to me or if I stole it but <laughs> at this point I don't think it matters <laughs> yeah no <laughs> It is kind of silly that they're technically not supposed to take some of those things, but I totally get taking it. Because if you think about it, you know, like Lauren Graham, it's a jean jacket, right? But of course they could put that on the set that then you and I could later visit, mm -hmm. like how we got to see Luke's ensemble, one of his yeah. plaid shirts and hats. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. You want to talk about Richard Gere? Let's talk about Richard Gere. <laughs> Because he kept coming up in my Google searches for Lords mm -hmm. of Flatbush. <laughs> and I could not figure out why. Because I was like, this guy was not in this movie. Uh-huh. That's the story, it turns out. So, yeah, Richard Gere, he was the first person cast in this movie. And maybe the first person fired from it. I don't know. I don't love this story because it was basically... Stallone or Richard Gere? Pick one. And that's an awful place to put someone in. But they did not get along. No. And in my reading, it sounds like he... You said he was up for the part of Chico. Apparently, Henry Winkler also claims that he was up for his part. Oh, really? Yeah, so both Perry King and... Henry Winkler have gone on record saying, oh, yeah, Richard Gere was supposed to be in my part. <laughs> so that's really confusing. They don't uh -huh. even know who they were supposed to be. But either way, he was not invited to continue. No. Um, basically, he and Stallone had a couple fights, and it felt like a, like a territory contest. I mean, it didn't sound like something either one of them should be proud of. But they got into a tiff, they were acting, and Stallone says that Gear, it was a fight scene, and Gear got too into it and pushed him. And then the second one. <laughs> this is my favorite. Oh my gosh. Tell it. Okay. So the story with this one is, I'll just read this sentence because I love how it's phrased. But the incident that really pushed Stallone over the edge happened in the back of a Toyota on a cold day in Coney Island. 
That sounds exactly like a place where Chico would be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stallone said that he was eating a hot dog when gear entered with mustard-covered chicken that was sure to drip. And Stallone says he proceeds to bite into the chicken and a small greasy river of mustard lands on my thigh. I elbowed him in the side of the head and basically pushed him out of the car. This happened on their lunch break. Apparently, everybody found out about this really fast. And Richard Gere was fired from the set and replaced probably by Perry King. But Henry Winkler at one point thought it was him who replaced him. (laughs) And they refused to work together to this day, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think it was ever resolved. No, they have done no events together. They've done no movies together. Because of mustard. Not even his pants, his character's pants, which probably had mustard on him anyway. I know. And we will not get into all the details because this is a PG podcast, but there's an additional rumor. Did you hear about this? No. The gerbil rumor that Richard Gere believes started with Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone denies this. But apparently, there was a rumor that Richard Gere had to go to the ER because a gerbil... I don't know how to put this and keep our podcast clean. Was inserted into a part of his body and died. This is... No, as, you have to say it. It's okay to say body parts. That's that's normal. And what? up his butt. And how? Uh huh. But the thing is, there is no proof to substantiate this happened. Well, and how would a gerbil would not? There fit? is a description of it available if you would like to read. That is the part <laughs> I withhold. Will withhold to keep. Okay. So supposedly there was this rumor. It sounds like somebody sent out a press release, an anonymous press release, saying this happened to Richard Gere. He had to go to the hospital get a dead gerbil removed. And at least at one point, Richard Gere believes this was started by Sylvester Stallone. And it it became a punchline on things like Saturday Night Live. They mentioned it. So it was a big enough rumor (laughs) that it could be mentioned there. That's hilarious. But that is completely ludicrous so one there's no proof that this ever happened to richard gear i am inclined to believe it did not happen i actually i'm 100 percent sure this thing with the gerbil never happened i'll go out <laughs> on a limb and say that and there's also no proof that sylvester stallone started this rumor but apparently it is a thing that follows their relationship or lack, lack of thereof. it <laughs> And I have one. Yes, I have one other episode in the Richard Gere Sylvester Stallone feud, because it's also this is one of those things that's just on. In addition to that, truth is stranger than fiction. Apparently, they did have an encounter later, and this is according to Elton John in his memoir that was published last year. Apparently, he hosted a dinner party. And the guests included Sylvester Stallone, Richard Gere, and Princess Diana. 
Now, if you are Elton John, I don't know why you invited both of these gentlemen, because they have a famous feud. He did not disclose exactly when this happened, so I could not find the date. Pre-1997, obviously, because it was mm-hmm. before Princess Diana passed away. But apparently, Richard Gere and Princess Diana developed a very quick connection and started spending much of the evening talking together. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester Stallone was mad about it. He did not like that all of her attention was focused on Richard Gere. Oh, that's funny. But I mean, can you blame her? Richard Gere is, he's very, he's just like got that, like he just kind of draws you in. Even though he, why is his hair white? Like, <laughs> he's in all these movies with like Julia Roberts and he, yeah. his hair is just white in all of them. Guess he just embraces it. But Elton John says, I think he may have turned up to the party with the express intention of picking Diana up only to find his plans for the evening ruined. <laughs> and then apparently Gear and Stallone got into it in another room and Elton John's partner, David Furnish had to go check on them and it ended up that Sylvester Stallone left the party in a huff. Now, Stallone denies this. He says it's a complete fabrication. I don't know why Elton John would put this in his memoir. Yeah, I don't know why. If he just completely made it up. But wow, what a story. Yeah, that's an interesting story either way. (laughs) Just think of this. Lords of Flatbush, Gerbil, Princess Diana. What an evolution. Yeah. That's just kind of, where do you go from there? I don't know. Maybe we should talk about how this relates to the world of Gilmore Girls. I think we should. What do you think? Does it fit? Luke is comparing TJ and his brother and buddies to the Lords of Flatbush. And I assume he's basically just calling them dum-dums at this point. Mm-hmm. Also, they do have thick New York accents. That's true. Though I can't tell you which neighborhood they're from. Um, really, Taylor? Come on. <laughs> I th- believe that there are three guys, not four. Plus Luke and Jess. Plus Luke and Jess. So, is Luke calling himself one of the lords? Probably not. He's probably just saying, you know, there's... Not four of them, but that's not the important part. It's not about the number. It's about, yeah, the (laughs) dum-dums. Because, you know, the whole lap thing. That is something that I could see Stallone's character saying. It it was eerily similar to the maps, reading the maps. Because, again, at first I thought he was talking about books. But, no, he's talking about maps. Which, reading maps, you know, reading, that can sound impressive, but when you tell someone you're reading maps, loses its (laughs) um, grandeur. So, uh, yeah, I could definitely see Stallone having that lapse conversation. Sadly, I do not think any of them are wearing leather jackets. No, they're wearing very ugly, like, polos. Very dad polos. 
very dad polos. Jess is the only one in leather. And then you have Luke in his same getup, flannel and backwards hat. They None of them fit in here because, Jess, <laughs> why are you wearing a zipped up leather jacket and probably a warm, I just feel like strip clubs must be warm and not a good temperature. I don't, I don't know why. Because, like, cold just doesn't seem right. Yeah. I feel like if I... <laughs> If I were a half-dressed person at a strip club, I would want the room to not be that cold. But you're moving around, so it would probably be nice for it to be cold. But I just imagine audience members being like, oh, I'm going to be sitting here cold. Like, that's not that's not quite the environment. But they also have mud wrestling that occurs later in the episode. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's best to do that, hot or cold, or not. Actually, it's one or the other, hot or cold. Well, I guess it could be lukewarm. Maybe room <laughs> temperature. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't been in that kind of situation. But, you know, the fact that they're in a stri- strip club, that's very Chico, Lords of Flatbush. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're just kind of a bunch of dum-dums. I think the irony is that Jess is in the leather jacket and we know later in his career, becomes the (laughs) doppelganger for Sylvester Stallone. Yes. However, that was not present at the time this episode aired. Right. That connection. But yeah, I think it's an intelligence connection. I'm sorry, TJ. Yeah. And they just just didn't have much to add intellectually. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's an illusion. Ugh. Man. So, Taylor? So, Kyla? That's our show? That's our show! Woo! Congratulations. Episode 90. We are here. We have accomplished this with the Lords of Flatbush. Everyone's favorite nostalgia pick. (laughs) I enjoyed talking about this more than I thought I would. I think, honestly, Richard Gere deserves some credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Even though he was in the movie. If all these characters had been people who went on to do nothing, then this movie would have not been enjoyable to talk about at all. But because Stallone and Henry Winkler went on to be so famous, like, makes it interesting to see them at the beginning. I think you're 100% right, because we did not even mention anything else about the two other actors. I will say the only fun fact worth mentioning is that Perry King auditioned for the role of Han Solo, didn't get it, Hmm. but then ended up playing him in radio broadcast productions of Star Wars, (laughs) and apparently he did have some success in the 80s with TV and other things. So congratulations to Perry King for having a career. That Maybe he was on Flatbush. Murder, She Wrote. <gasps> I didn't even think to check. <laughs> Side note, I've been watching that show a lot lately. It's yeah. free on Peacock, that new streaming service. And I just hope I'm Angela Lansbury one day. She's all I aspire to. Uh, I love I'm... that show. I might start using that show. I've been using Say Yes to the Dress, speaking of mm. gay drinks, um, as my white noise, you know, kind of TV show. Got it. 
So when that's done. Yes. Anyways, thanks for uh, sticking with us for 90 episodes. Taylor and I were talking the other day. We see no reason why we're not going to get all seven seasons. I know. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Pending no tragedies. Yes. What do you mean by tragedy? She's like, what if I don't know. Dies? We just talked about tragedy and the outsiders. <laughs> and Yes. Pending mm-hmm. that we don't have a Richard Gere, Sylvester Stallone style fallout. Oh my gosh. Why would you put that out there, Taylor? <laughs> because if you say it, then it won't come true. Oh, I feel like it's the... Okay, sure. You know. Um, you unjinxed us. <laughs> Yeah. And we Ooh. need to do the handshake. Du- double back, jinx back, <laughs> double twist. Lane yeah. and Rory's thing. We need to learn that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we've been rambling on. Like this movie. Yeah. Sign up for our tiny letter, go to our Tumblr, check us out on Twitter, send us an email, because that's a cool thing to do. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We love it. Uh, here's a teaser for our next step. Where's the minister? As kids, we shared our toys with all the girls and boys. Barrel of monkeys, your battleship sunk me. Please recall the joy. Willow, clue, mouse trap, fashion spirograph, kaleidoscope spinning. Yahtzee, I'm winning. Think of how we laughed. But today we share our love. Today we share our love, for love is the greatest toy around, around, around. <sighs> well, you know, that shouldn't be birth control. It should be pregnancy control. Because it doesn't stop the baby from coming out. It stops the baby from being started. You know, birth control. But it's really pregnancy control, you know? You know, a lap is an illusion. (laughs) (laughs) It's there when you sit down, but not when you stand up. Oh my gosh, that, yep, that's about where that was at. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks for bringing me back down. (laughs) 